If I can't service this client, I lose them anyway. So I might as well focus on keeping the team happy, not the client. Because the client will be happy if my team's happy. Wow. Started working on my very first Nike project that weekend. What? Wow. <laughs> that fast? That fast? Yeah. yeah, all as a result of that cold email. Dude. There's all different ways of landing clients, of course. Fill your schedule, fill it with things that you're passionate about, start charging more. I was working on freelance gigs nights and weekends while juggling a day job and a small family. The CEO of Maxon emailed me and I was terrified thinking that he was hitting me up for my stolen copy of Cinema 4D. <laughs> <laughs> it was over 30 years old before I ever touched Cinema 4D. Yeah. So if I'm going out, I'm going out with a bang and I'm going to go out <laughs> with some free time. <laughs> Faraz, are you ready? Of course I am. Let's, Let's do this. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Bad Decisions podcast, where we give you guys a backstage pass into the minds of creatives, entrepreneurs, and visionaries. And Farad, what do we have today? We have the owner and the founding artist of Already Been Chewed, a design, motion graphics, and animation studio. That's right. And what's really crazy is just the client list of the studio. And it is a testament to how crazy good their work ethic and CG animations are. We're talking about the likes of Nike, New Balance, ESPN, UFC, Louis Vuitton. And these are just to name a few. And what's really cool as well is today we're going to be tackling two different storylines. One of which is going to be focused more on the entrepreneurial journey of our guest. Because he did go all the way from a freelancer to now owning a studio with more than 20 people, I believe. We have to even confirm that number because it's, it's growing. And growing at tough times like COVID. And everybody knows how tough that was. But aside from that, we also like to tackle the other storyline, which is the art process that is happening at Already Been Chewed. Because we know that a lot of you guys watching and listening are artists and you're curious about the process. And so it's going to be really crazy. Fired. I can't wait. So let's uh, let's get this started. Everybody, we have Barton Damer. Barton Damer. How's cheers it going? to you, man. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good. Oh, cheers. <laughs> Thank you. What is that? Is that, uh, do we have coffee, tea, water? It is coffee for the moment, uh, but I have okay. requested a, a water delivery so that I don't <laughs> cough too I much. I like that. That's going to be, the coffee is going to be necessary, man. Uh, fun fact, we used to call the podcast uh, Bad Decisions Coffee Break because we're <laughs> such coffee lovers. We drink eight cups, six to eight cups a day. But we nice. cut off the coffee break because it was just too long of a name for a podcast. People couldn't remember it. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I think you guys would probably make fun of me, though. I've added creamer to mine. <laughs> oh, come on. What's going on, Barton? We've, we've seen the gym photos, man. What's up with the creamer? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, you know, actually, what's up? I used to feel bad about putting coffee in my creamer, but then I started noticing <laughs> it at Starbucks. Like, people don't even order coffee at Starbucks. They're ordering frappuccinos. And so I was like, you know what? I'm way more of a coffee drinker than any of these people are. <laughs> my man, you're comparing yourself to the wrong people. That's the problem here. <laughs> but... In all seriousness, Farhad did bring up the concept of you going to the gym. And I got to say something because yeah. we were checking out your Instagram and we recommend people to do that after the podcast. Um, one of your recent posts or pin posts is about your body transformation. And also looking at one of the other videos 
there's a side angle of you and you're sitting down and we can see your lats. Dude, you got wings, man. You got wings. Like, it's so inspirational seeing someone who is a CG artist and now uh, an owner of a studio, but in the MoGraph, you know, industry, but has running such a business, a, yeah, running, running a business. business, managing people. And this is the body and he's working out. He's conscious about his health. Mm. Where did all of this came from? Oh, well, it, I mean, it's a long journey, so feel free to move me on from this subject if I, if I drag it out too much. But essentially, uh, I've always been a skateboarder. So ever since elementary school, skateboarding, um, never really went to the gym other than like basketball tryouts and things like that. Uh, and the occasional rehab from a knee surgery, uh, but never had like a, an actual gym or fitness routine. So at... 38 years old, I'm 47 years old now. Um, at 38 years old, I had to have microfracture knee surgery, which is my third knee surgery. And it's basically a surgery that is a natural form of drilling into your bone, creating a blood clot. And that blood clot is a natural form of fake cartilage uh, to kind of extend, give some lubricant to your knee. So uh, after I had that surgery, my skateboarding kind of went downhill quickly. Um, yeah. Like things were not as consistent. I put on some weight because uh, it was six months where you couldn't do any skateboarding uh, and had to had to do some rehab, things like that. Um, and then from about 38 years old to about 42 years old, just slowly put on some weight. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, and, and work is getting heavier, I assume, at the same time. You so, get busier and less yeah. time to work out. Yeah, and you know, honestly, like the skateboarding was something I did three to four times per week, like all the way up until 38 years old. Wow. <laughs> and and so that had to dial back quite a bit. And I had this really awkward time period in my life where it was like, do I go skate or do I go work out? I need to get in shape, but I want to skate because that's what I do. Mm-hmm. And eventually it got to a point where it's like, man, I, I need to I need to focus on working out. I want to be able to walk around Disney World with grandkids someday. <laughs> like, the more I skate, the less cartilage I have. And so I should probably focus more on on like fitness than on skateboarding at this point. So uh, started a fitness journey, worked out from home for two years because I'm the type of personality where I, I want to be consistent and I, I don't want to just like go do something and be extreme with it and like, you know, lose a bunch of weight and get shredded and then go right after yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's just not my personality type. And so uh, I wanted to make sure that if I if I could figure out how to get in shape, I could do it for the rest of my life. And so I challenged myself to do it from home with body weight, no gym, uh, just diet and body weight exercises. And I started going to uh, what's called like a mobility trainer. And uh, it's actually a friend of mine that I uh, skateboard with. And he went on to become a, a mobility trainer, works with you know professional athletes, uh, things like that. And so he was willing to, to take me on as, a, as you know our past relationship and things like that. And, uh, and he's helped me basically undo all the damage that I've done through skateboarding by basically rehabbing my joints and getting me a lot more mobile and flexible. But uh, COVID was kind of like the opportunity to go to the next level. So mm. prior to COVID, I had lost, you know, some weight and things like that. I was definitely uh, in a far better position than I, than I was. 
but then, you know, I was working out kind of casually, like three times a week or something like that. Well, COVID hit, everybody's posting stupid stuff on Instagram. It doesn't matter if it was, you know, you know, skateboarders were going around posting kickflips inside their living rooms. And, uh, <laughs> you know, there were like all kinds of social media trends when we were just doing posting random stuff because we were all locked up in our houses. And fitness was a big one. People were posting fitness clips, things like that. And I honestly felt like really stupid, but everybody was doing it. So I posted some fitness clips and it was wild because they got the most interaction. I got the most DMs from them. Uh, and I was like, wow, this is crazy. I feel kind of like dumb posting anything fitness related, but it always gets like a really good response. And so throughout COVID, I just started making like social media posts and I was calling them pandemic progress. And I would be like, Ooh, wow. Day number three hundred and fifty-six. We're still. Alive. Oh my god, that's long. <laughs> and, it, and it turned into like a six days a week that I started working out. And then as things started opening up, I joined the gym for the first time, basically ever, uh, and uh, and was actually incorporating some heavy like weightlifting and things like that. Uh, and so yeah, so. Overall, uh, ended up losing like 45 pounds or something like that. And mm -hmm. uh, now just tweaking, like I'm just having fun, like going a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper, learning about macros, uh, gamification of my diet, if you will. And, uh, and, and I'm actually kind of addicted to the process and, and enjoying it and, and super consistent with it. But I, I didn't go into it, honestly, like with a goal to like, see a six pack or yeah. 20 pounds because at least for my personality if i hit that goal i would take my foot off the gas oh and so my only goal whether it was before covid or during covid when i started increasing six days a week was i just want to be consistent with my diet and my exercise plan and whatever happens happens because i i can't have this is for like health reasons like yeah Running a business is very stressful. Uh, clients can be stressful. Mm -hmm. And when I was starting to put on that weight, I was like, man, I need to give myself the best chance of handling this stress. Mm -hmm. And being in shape and burning off energy and, and stress in the gym helps me cope with that. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and COVID was, you know, very stressful on top of running a business, it was just stressful seeing people that you respect, you lose respect for them when they're posting, <laughs> you, know, you know, and, and it was just stressful all around, uh, not even just from a business perspective, but just like seeing, you know, family members fight about yeah. stuff in public on social media. Yeah, like, well, that was like, what in the time. world is going on? You it's know? it's like, really crazy, but I, I want to say congrats to you because you look freaking great right now. Like, thanks, honestly, man, you look great. <laughs> and, and we've seen the before and after photos. It's crazy the progress you've had. And it's funny because it started as... Uh, a dumb post uh, as you said yourself on on social media and it and it gave you sort of a, a reality check because other people were watching you you're like okay now i gotta keep going for day two day three but what's really important is because we go when we are looking at your profile and what you do we have a lot of things in common and i guess we'll find that out as we talk about this uh, on the podcast one of which is fitness we're big fans of going to the gym and and incorporating fitness into our lives no matter how busy you are no matter what you do and it's really funny because it's always hard to get the balance right because right now our struggle is okay today we can either work 
or go to the gym for two hours. If you go to the gym, you come back more motivated, more, more inspired, energy. more yeah. energy. But the problem is you lose two hours of work. So like balancing that has always been difficult. How do you balance it out? I mean, you're, you're managing businesses, you, uh, uh, you're, you're giant business right now and clients and, you know, a lot of work. How do you balance out? Okay, how much time do I allocate for, you know, uh, fitness and how much do I allocate for the business? Yeah, so I think uh, it's important to know there's going to be seasons in life, right? Uh, and so there are going to be times during a business where I don't recommend you go to the gym for two hours a day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, like, like you should probably be either learning your craft and getting better and sitting down and focusing on new software or new technology, mm-hmm. uh, or you should, uh, you know, be toning it back, you know, you're, you're, there's going to be seasons in life where maybe that fitness turns into a hundred pushups and a hundred sit-ups from home. And that's what you can do. Um, and so I think you, you've got to find when the right season in life is to, to do that and take those opportunities for me in the early days of ABC, when we were much smaller and it was far more of a grind, I was working six, seven hours a day, 12, 16 hours a day, you know, for years, years. Uh, and, um, and I found what happened, you know, similar to like going to the gym, I, I was going to the skate park. So mm-hmm. I have, uh, I have a family, uh, wife and three kids. Mm-hmm. And when they were younger, everybody, especially in the winter time, when the sun goes down around 4.35 PM and it's dark, Oh my God. Everybody yeah. in my house, including my wife, who was just exhausted from, you know, entertaining and taking care of three kids throughout the day, uh, they'd all be in bed by like 7 38 PM. Mm-hmm. And so I'm looking around and I'm like, well, I'm going to go up to the skate park and skate. So <laughs> uh, I, I only lived like two miles from the skate park. So I literally go up there meet friends at nighttime, skate for two hours, come home. And then to your point, I'm all energized. Yeah. So then that's when the grind would start. So yeah. I get home from the skate park. It's 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. Now I sit down and I do some more freelance work till one or two in the morning. I freaking love, love that. that. That's freaking... a perfect way to put it. Especially yeah. I love the concept of seasons. Mm. There is no strict plan that you can say for the rest of my life, for the rest of this year, for mm. the rest of I don't know how long. I'm going to commit to this because if you are not even running a business, if you are hustling on something, if you are trying to learn something or if you have a project that is super important, you can always balance things out. Mm -hmm. It's always good to have that fitness in mind. But when, when the time comes, you can always compensate for one another. Yeah, I think it's all about priorities and you have to understand and recognize the priorities you have at a certain point in time. For us, as an example right now, the priority is fully on this YouTube channel. And so our goal and our focus is here. So if the video is not out, no one's going to the gym. <laughs> like That's like the rule right now. So we will do that until we realize, okay, now we can afford to you know spend the two hours. It's fine. So for us, we're trying to balance that out, but it's really difficult. So that's why we wanted to even start out the day before we get to your journey with the fitness concept Mm -hmm. because usually this is the last topic people talk about but it's so important because so many artists i believe suffer from that because they don't either have fitness incorporated in their regime and that is eventually down the line is going to catch up with them and so it's an important topic because when you start like you mentioned you get addicted it's such a fun thing It, it, it looks hard but it's it's an addictive drug where you go and then you come back and you're more energized so 
that's just something I wanted to cover. Are, are you advocating that in ABC? Like, do you tell people that, hey, you, you should go to gym or you should work out or you should do that sport? Is it some kind of culture? Is it part of the culture? Yeah. yeah. Well, that can be so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I get, I get Coming in with a protein shake. Thing. Hey, guys. <laughs> like, like, if you're trying to, you know what I mean? It's hard to, it's hard to tell people, like, about diet and about exercise. Mm. So, I honestly just, I put it out there on my, my social media. And I really put it mostly on my TikTok feed, which mm. um, my TikTok feed is, is mainly for me. Like, I'm putting... Mm my exercise routine up so that I can remember it. So I literally will go into the gym and I pull up my own TikTok feed <laughs> to remember what I need to do on push day or what I need to do on pull day. And, That's actually uh, really smart. That's yeah. really smart way of remembering. It's a full library of like exercises. So if people wanted to access it and they're curious what I do, that's everything that I do is all that feed. Um, but yeah, um, where were we going with that? I kind of lost. Are lost you my advocating train of that? It, no, you were saying you will post that so people can see it and get inspired, and it's hard to tell people to do it. It is, you know, because like even at home, like you don't want to turn into the guy that's like, I don't know about that calorie count, you know, like, <laughs> you, know you can't say that. <laughs> you can't be like saying that to your wife when she goes and puts a cookie in her mouth, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, very I, true, very true. You don't want to be the annoying gym rat, uh, especially if you've got like family members and people around you. They're going to start hating you. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, but I don't, I don't mind putting it out on social media because it's like, well, if you don't want to follow me then don't follow me i'm just putting it out there in case someone's inspired by it or interested in it mm. no that's very true now um one thing that we'd love to talk about because we do have a lot of questions as we mentioned the two storylines that we'd like to tackle today uh, about your entrepreneurial journey and the art process at abc but before that just to give some context to people can we talk a little bit about your journey we know that your journey is an interesting one because you're not just an artist who started learning 3D and, you know, you're here today. You have a very interesting background of um, how your skateboarding journey influenced where you're today, the sneakers influence where you're today, the art influence where you're here, uh, why you're here today. And uh, we want to know a little bit more about that. So how would you go around telling that story if someone just met you for the first time? Cool. Yeah, for sure. So in in college, uh, I went to basically find new skate spots in a new city. Uh, that, that was my motivation for getting out of the, you know, my town and going to another town for college. And I was looking for new skate spots. Well, I, I blew out my ACL and tore my meniscus three weeks into my freshman year of college. Oh, uh, oh my God. And then I hobbled around a college campus. Uh, all the way until Christmas on crutches and, you know, as it got better, I could limp and things like that. Uh, and um, at that time, uh, the only two ways that I knew how to meet people were through basketball and through skateboarding. Mm -hmm. And I could not do that. And I was on a brand new college campus away from home, things like that. Um, my wife, who is my high school sweetheart, was at the same college with me. Uh, and so she helped me through that whole process. Um, but I say all of that because I was a public relations major and I was required to take an entry level drawing course. And right. so once I blew out my ACL uh, from skateboarding, I sat up in my room because I couldn't do much of anything. And I poured all my time and attention into that uh, drawing one of one course. And uh, it was at that point that I realized that I was really good at drawing. Like, 
I did have a, like, I do have a background in art to a certain degree. My mom was an art teacher uh, mm -hmm. at, at a high school, but it was things like Picasso and Rembrandt and those things did not interest me whatsoever. Like I was the guy drawing Tony Hawk skulls on <laughs> notebook pad while the teacher was talking, you know, uh, and the graffiti tags in my notebook and things like that. I uh, was not interested in, in the Mona Lisa. What did your all. mother think of <laughs> that? What, what, was your mom a fan of what you were drawing and all that <laughs> art style? This is not art. That's this not, not true art. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so through that first knee injury, it forced me to sit down and actually like do things and learn things related to my college courses because it, I, I think it is maybe a blessing and a curse to to have athleticism because mm -hmm. it can it can prevent you from sitting down and learning things that you should probably learn for your career because it's far more fun to go out and dunk a basketball yep. or you know, do a, a trick on a skateboard uh, or go to the gym yeah. <laughs> and sit down and learn Houdini or, or learn Unreal. <laughs> I love that you use Houdini as an example. As well, yeah, you compare that two together. One is definitely yeah. a lot more fun. Yeah, it's like Houdini or my biceps. Yeah, I yeah, my biceps. All the biceps any day. <laughs> no, so, uh, um, so that injury really forced me to like sit down and do that. And as a result, I changed my major to commercial art. Um, and so in college, which was a long time ago, 1994 to 1998 is when I was in college. Um, I learned everything from uh, oil painting to stipple, uh, mm. stippling with a pen, mm -hmm. uh, to photography, things like that. And it was like Photoshop version two at the time. Uh, and so I graduated with a commercial art degree. And after that, uh, got a job at some like kind of corporate design firms outside of Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. And uh, didn't love that. Uh, <laughs> no surprise there. <laughs> Usually people don't like what they start doing in the beginning. Yeah, some terrible, terrible jobs. So my first job was uh, doing patent illustrations for lawyers. Oh, and so wow. I, 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 I took the job thinking it was a design firm. And then when I got there, it, they would literally hand you a Xerox copied paper that had been Xerox copied by another lawyer that had been Xerox copied by oh, another lawyer wow. that had been Xerox copied by his secretary. Like this thing had been Xerox copied like 30 times before <laughs> they handed it to you. And then when they hand it to you, it's already an illustrator illustration. Like <laughs> it's just why you're looking at it and you're saying, wait, what am I supposed to what do? Am I <laughs> and, it's literally the government requires you to draw it and shade it in a certain manner in order to submit it for patent illustrations. And so my first job, I got amazing at Adobe Illustrator because I had to like trace these things and shade them a certain way. But I was out of there after like nine months, so was like on to the next job. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. <laughs> so fast forward, ended up blowing out my other knee and ACL. Oh my uh, God. <laughs> through skateboarding but to be honest if you've ever had one blown out acl you're likely going to blow out the other one if you continue there's to more pressure part. on the other one is that is that the reason why so what happens is even if you rehab it properly you end up favoring the one that's never had the surgery and as okay. a result of favoring it you're putting too much on it right 
Right. And so uh, it's very similar follow basketball to like Derrick Rose in his career. Like he blew out the one and then like two years later, he blew out the second one. It doesn't happen to everybody that way, but uh, definitely back in the day when we didn't know as much about rehab, it probably didn't pour as much into yeah. the uh, weight training of the legs as we should, uh, things like that kind of kind of falls that way. So, but the nice thing is those injuries changed the entire trajectory of my career both times because mm -hmm. I was pretty much done and tired of uh, my career as a graphic designer um, and, you know, patent illustrations, you can understand <laughs> why. Uh, and so, you know, it was a good, it was a good six, seven years into my career. And I was thinking about just hanging my hat up and I don't know, become a real estate agent or something. Like I was pretty much done, uh, done with it. And then I blew out my other ACL and, uh, through that, I still wanted to be able to like hang out and see my friends. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I started filming and editing skateboard videos. And that was the first time I had done anything with video, video production, editing, and it was all inside of iMovie. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I didn't even know what motion graphics was at that time. Um, so I was literally in iMovie editing skate videos. And then I was exporting out like graphic designed PNGs from Photoshop that I had created mm. to make little intros for the skate videos. And I was literally using like slide transitions inside of iMovie to like make things <laughs> slide left, slide right. And uh, I quickly found out that my favorite part of, you know, filming and editing skate videos was making the animated intros. Mm. Uh, and so then I started doing more research started figuring out what Adobe After Effects was. Then I started understanding uh, what 3D animation was, realized yep. that a lot of my stuff was looking flat and I wasn't sure why. And then that's when I picked up Cinema 4D. And uh, by this time, I was, I believe I was over 30 years old before I ever touched Cinema 4D. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I like to bring that up to people because so many younger people are in their early 20s and they want to be art directors by the time they're like 26, 27 <laughs> years old. It's like, man, pace yourself. What are you going to do with the rest of your career if you're an art director in your 20s? Um, and so you're going to finish life by that age. Uh, you're going to yeah. be done. Yeah, right. So, um, so I didn't even start learning 3D, um, 3D animation until I was. Uh, probably around 30 years old or so. Mm -hmm. um, and then Cinema 4D was kind of my my tool of choice. And that's where I really found what I what I thought was my voice in the artistic mm -hmm. world. And things really started to blow up for me. So um, my, you know, some of my very first projects went viral back in the day. Um, the CEO of Maxon emailed me and, you know, I got this email from him and I was terrified thinking that he was hitting me up for my stolen copy of Cinema 4D. And, <laughs> you know. you cracked what? It. Yeah, cracked up. Are you guys still using cracked software? It's on the right now. That's the question. <laughs> if we are, it's only because the licensing <laughs> server does not work. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> But, yeah, but so, so you're uh, telling me one of your first projects in Cinema 4D was recognized by the Maxon team. Literally, like my first one, I posted it on Twitter. This was, I don't even know the date, like 2008, probably. Uh, and uh, Paul Babb was the, U the U.S. Uh, CEO at the time of Maxon U.S., saw it, reached out to me, loved it, and wanted to know how I created it. And I'd, I'd done a blend of Photoshop and 3D, which 
mm. at that time was pretty innovative because mm. 3D people were were Pixar people. Yeah. And and graphic designers were were typography. And then there was kind of this Photoshop world of photo manipulation, but no one was mixing 3D and Photoshop, or very few yeah. people were at that time. Yeah. And so I if I had to kind of explain why some of the success happened back then, it's definitely because that wasn't being done, or at least not at that level where people were mixing 3D into their Photoshop work. Mm -hmm. um, and so as a result, I was starting to gain a lot of recognition, uh, won a few awards, had my artwork on display in both London and in Berlin. Uh, and then it got to a point where I was working on, uh, you know, freelance gigs, nights and weekends while juggling a day job and a small family. Um, and so for years, my schedule was, uh, you know, eight to five at the day job, come home, hang out, play with the kids, eat dinner, hang out with my wife. Everybody goes to bed. It's eight or eight thirty. I start freelancing. That's your, your next life starts only when everybody's going to bed. That was like yep. your second life. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, you know, from whatever it was, eight thirty nine o'clock on into one, two in the morning, freelancing, working on projects, wake up 7am, get to work by eight or whatever, you know, and, uh, and did that for several years until it got to a point where it's like, first thing you're trying to do is you know, fill your schedule and make more money uh, for your family. And then it's like, okay, I made more money for my family, but I don't really want to do this project anymore. Like, I don't want to work with this person. I don't want to work on that type of project. So now you can start being more selective. Yeah. And you got the day job still going on. So why take on anything that you don't want to take on in the evenings? And so mm -hmm. I was able to start getting a lot more selective. And then working 15 hours a week, uh, freelancing on top of the day job, kind of like condensing into only things that I really wanted to work on was making more money than my day job. And yeah. so it started to make sense that I should go out on my own. And so uh, officially went out on my own in 2010 uh, and was freelancing. And quickly after that, started landing some various gigs and, and Nike was one of those. And uh, worked with Nike on several shoe releases and then started just saying to myself, man, like I've done it all at this point in my career. Uh, I've done, I've done print. Like there was a time in my career and I kind of skipped over a lot of it, but there's a time in my career where I was laying out 300 page textbooks. Uh, you know, I mentioned the patent illustration, but I didn't talk about the fact that I've built websites in flash and macromedia dream, dream <laughs> back in the day, you know, <laughs> Uh, and then I've done video editing and then of course moved into motion graphics and 3d animation. And so from the very beginning, it was never about like Bart Damer. It was always about the brand, which was already been shoot. And I felt like I could compete with Wyden and Kennedy. Like I could do anything yeah. they could do. Why not? Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe yeah. it was ignorance on my part, uh, <laughs> but, but I just didn't, I just didn't think, you know, I'm not going to be like working on a day rate for anybody. I'm not going into anybody's studio. Like I'm going to work with clients and I'm going to offer them anything an agency might offer them, mm -hmm. uh, except I'm actually doing the creative. And so that yeah. was my mindset from day one. And so um, was landing some cool projects and thinking to myself, man, 
this is pretty fun. I, I think there's other people that would want to work on these Nike projects with me. I don't, I don't feel like this is going to be hard to find some other people to, to hire. Yeah. Where can I focus my efforts and then who can I hire to help me build off of some of this momentum? And that was kind of the, the start of things. Mm-hmm. And that was 13 years ago. Wow. So inspiring, man. I'm, I like the journey that you took, the risk that you take, all the managing family, day job, and then starting a new business. That's all difficult decisions on its own, yeah. every single one of them, and then putting them all together. But And there's one thing that I like to note is two different parts. One is the, the first time you blew out your ACL and then the second time you did it. And also COVID, which we didn't cover, but again, assuming that you grew the the studio during COVID, you mentioned the word through. Through that, you managed to grow it. But I actually, I want to take a different approach to it. I don't think it's just that caused you to grow is how you took that challenge. So a lot of people would be discouraged in those situations when something bad uh, or something challenging happened to them. Uh, COVID as an example, your ACL as another example, they might just sit and waste their time. You know, if they have one yeah. month or two months or three months, I genuinely know people that would just play video games during that time. And I'm a big yeah. video game guy myself. Yeah, you, you I don't blame people and you see them. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. The, the thing is, I, I'm, a guy who loves video games myself, but I've come to understand that unless you want to become a pro gamer or a streamer, if something like what happened to you happens to you, you have to figure out something else, something more useful to do. And so COVID was a great example of that because everybody had like a whole year of at home or two years, depending on where you were located, to do anything you wanted, literally start a whole new career, start a whole new life. That was one chance. And for you, life has given you multiple chances right the acl was one of those you could have been the guy who just said oh this happened to me i'm just gonna you know just chill you know in the hospital or at home for a month and or two and let's see how it goes after that Yeah, let's see how it goes and i'll just continue going back to skateboarding but no you took every single one of those as a challenge you had the right perspective and then you took that and then turned it into something useful and it's so important to do that so I can't really describe what it is, but even for us, the start of this YouTube channel happened because of a hard, challenging moment yes. that happened in our life. And it was... Um, Do we talk about it? I don't know. We never talked about it, but you can say it. Yeah, we never talked about it, but our parents were supposed to see us. So we're brothers and our parents were supposed to meet us. We've been waiting for like the longest time. And it's been like a year or two years now. And when we realized, okay, we can't see them, that there's there's a just the giant barrier that is stopping us, we realized, okay, the only way we can make this work is if we have more freedom of time, more freedom of uh, financial freedom, and all of these will help us to be able to solve these challenging things such as visas and all that. And so we were thinking, okay, what can we do? Because we can't really do something right now. We can just work harder, right? Let's start a new podcast. Let's start this YouTube channel. Let's do something with this instead of just sitting down. And so... It's really inspiring hearing your story on how you dealt with these things. I just wanted to note that. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's definitely, it's got to be your outlook on life to look at things as glass half full rather than half empty. You know, even back to some of the fitness stuff, it's like most people would focus on all the things they can't eat uh, in order to achieve certain goals. Whereas I'm the opposite. I'm like, just tell me what I can eat. Oh, I can have chicken. You mean I could have like bison? Like yeah. I can have protein shakes that are chocolate flavored? Count me in. That's all I yeah. need. Those three things. I'm good. <laughs> I love that. I love that. There was one moment uh, in your career when you transitioned from day job 
to a full-time freelancer and also from a freelancer to to a point that you started hiring people and having a studio a lot of people are are stuck in those moments on on those the transition moments, the transition part what makes you really push the button and say that hey it's time to quit the job and become a full-time freelancer or it's it's time to i don't want to be a solo creator anymore it's time, time to, to hire, hire and grow the people. team yeah yeah so i think it's important to note that um a lot of people will make the mistake of of thinking or wanting to be an entrepreneur when the reality is they're just bad employees Mm. You know what I mean by that? It's like, I hate this job. I'm going to start my own thing. <laughs> or like, and, and that's, that's quite a bit different than having an opportunity to become an entrepreneur or seeing an opportunity to become an entrepreneur. Like being a bad employee and being forced to do something because you either got fired, laid off, or you just couldn't you know, deal with a full-time day job, that's quite a bit different um, than seeing seeing a business model or seeing a need and fulfilling a need. And so first piece of advice is don't quit your day job too soon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like you have to create a demand for this stuff. Like if you just if you just think that uh, the work is going to be there, things like that, and you quit too soon, it, you could learn a very painful mistake. And so creating a demand for your work uh, or your services, if it's not, you know, specifically related to 3D animation, just in, in business in general, you want to know and you want to create a demand for it. And you'll, you'll know because one, you can fill your schedule. And then two, you can start being selective. And then three, which we haven't even talked about yet, you start raising your prices. And then that allows you to make the decision to go out on your own. And it allows you to hire people uh, because if you can't do those three things, fill your schedule, fill it with things that you love and start charging more, then how are you going to quit your day job? How are you going to hire more people? Um, and so the decision to grow is often based off of simply those three things. And you get to a point where it's like, well, wait a second, if, if these clients have this much money, I'm not just going to phone it in and make a bunch of like quick cash here. This is a long-term strategy. So if they were paying here before and I was wrecking myself working 12 hours a day, but now they're paying up here, what if I could find another person to help me work on it or a producer to help me manage it? Uh, and you start you start saying to yourself, oh, geez, okay, I didn't even realize that some of these clients are willing to pay this much. But if they do, that's how I plan to grow my business now is because now I can actually go in and I can provide better customer service. They can get a hold of somebody when I'm working and can't answer emails and things like that. And so you have to be smart about the decisions that you make. Uh, but a lot of that comes from those three things uh, that I just mentioned. Uh, which is fill your schedule, fill your schedule with things that you love, start charging more. And that process is going to allow you to make decisions on growing. So even as a studio of 21 people right now, same exact thing. Can I fill our schedule for 21 people? Can I fill it with stuff that we actually love? Yes, charge more. Wow, that's amazing. It's really interesting hearing how you approach these things 
one of the things you mentioned in, uh, in another video that you had on YouTube, which is extremely interesting, and I think every artist, specifically artists, but even from other industries, would be interested to hear you talk about this. You mentioned when you get emails with a showreel, first you look oh. at the video, then if you like what you see, you read the email. And clearly now with GPT around, you would do that even more so because probably half the email is written with GPT, right? So <laughs> right. <laughs> you don't even want to read that. So just just want to stress this enough because that means if the guy has 10 different degrees in different industries, in different domains, you don't give a shit. You still just look at the work. <laughs> If it's something you like, then only you'll start to look at whatever they have. You even mentioned that even in your own studio, you don't know what the degree of the people over there are. And it's really, really important to talk about this because as we started to put up more videos about you know tutorials on Unreal Engine and Blender and all these sort of stuff, more people were watching our videos and DMing us, hey, I like your guys' work. How do I how to get started? What, what should I study? study? Should I go to this uni? Should I go to that uni? How can I, you know, land a job immediately? The mm -hmm. questions are always through the what type of course or what type of uni. They never focus on the actual work or the yeah. output that comes out. So we, I guess, want to ask you if you can talk to us about what are the expectations that you guys have at such uh, uh, such a grand studio that you guys have, you know, working with big clients? Clearly, it's not the degree because a lot of the people DMing us, they think it's all about the degree. They're like, what should I study? Where should I go? So I want to hear that from you. If you get that DM, what is your typical response to that? Yeah, so um, first, let me preface that if you're not sure what you want to do in life and in career, I do recommend that you go to college to help you mm -hmm. figure that out. Uh, it's going to be a hard path forward if you don't have a college degree and you're not sure what you want to become. And I think in the process of going to college, you'll probably be around some other people. And, you know, there's plenty of people that know exactly what they want to do. Some people know at eight years old, I'm going to be a doctor. Um, yeah. But once you're in college, I think the relationship management, roommates, professors, all of those things are going to help contribute to like, oh, I was around this person. And this person inspired me to try this. And so it's kind of like a, a path to figure out what you want to become. Uh, because if you can't reverse engineer exactly what you want to do and what you want to become, uh, I do recommend college for that reason. Yeah. And I say that because I have uh, two kids that are in college right now. Mm. Um, if, though, for instance, my son had wanted to become a 3D artist and a 3D animator, which he does not, um, I would have been able to put him on a path and said, why would you go to college? Here's the yeah. things you need to do to get a job doing 3D animation. And it wouldn't have involved college. It probably would have involved school of motion and online yeah. courses and things yeah. like that. And and it's honestly in this field, it's more valuable to be self-taught. Yeah. Because it is not a field that if you require a classroom and a professor in order to learn, you're not going to do well in this field. Yeah. <laughs> Um, wow, Kevin, I need to quote that because it's so true. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and some people need that. They need a classroom. They need a professor, and that that helps them uh, to to learn. Um, so if you're if you're able to reverse engineer what you want to do and how you get there, uh, college isn't necessarily um, involved. Uh, they could be, uh, but I, th I think 
I did want to preface though that if, if you're younger and you're not quite sure, then I highly recommend you at least go to college to help you figure out what you want to do. Mm. So when you look at all these showreels that come to you as someone who owns the studio, what are the things that you look at when you get, get a showreel? Because a lot of people are asking us, how many works should I put? Should I put my best work or should I put the work that I did with the most famous brand? What would really stand out in a good showreel? Yeah, so um, I definitely, like you mentioned, uh, I click the link. I don't read anything. Mm -hmm. I go straight to the link. I start watching it. I don't turn the music on. Uh, oh. I just watch it and I'm looking for pace and rhythm. And uh, and obviously, aesthetically, it's got to catch my eye and look look gorgeous. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I'm looking for smooth keyframes. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Obviously, the fundamentals of things. Uh, and then sometimes I'm looking at someone's portfolio and I'm saying to myself, it is good but they're working on boring projects. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if they had a chance to work on some of the things we get to work on at ABC, they're gonna explode and be amazing here. Mm -hmm. um, so that's definitely what happens quite often is I'm, I'm, I'm looking for potential mm -hmm. uh, versus I, I'm not necessarily, and I, I can't say that I've gone out and like hired the best of the best on the internet, you know, and, mm -hmm. and recruited the best people mm -hmm. uh, that were, you know, on the market, if you will. I feel like most of the people here are the best people. Mm -hmm. uh, but when I hired them, I was seeing potential. Uh, I wasn't necessarily hiring them because they were the best of the best at that time. Mm -hmm. And one thing that is really interesting as well was something you mentioned yourself when you were going to, a, I believe, a skateboarding event and you realized that the graphics that they were, you know, showing on the screen was just not on par with what you would expect. And no, yes. you mentioned that there is a non-skateboard guy did that design. Here. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and you went ahead and emailed yes. the, the company, but also guessed the emails of the skateboarder, I assume, just yeah. so they would get your email and why I'm bringing this up is because the concept of you manifesting the industry that you want to work with or the people that you want to work with is really important because there's so many people, again, DM us and they want to do something, but they're not actually putting in the action to get there because sometimes it's not just about doing the work, but it's also about approaching the right people and just throwing out as many hooks as you can. And can you tell us a little bit more about that story? Because it's definitely one of the ones that I think will inspire a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. So there's a celebrity skateboarder and MTV uh, talk show host named Rob Deerdick. And he started streaming skateboarding probably 12 years ago or so. So I was new to freelancing and things like that. I was really excited about it. I thought it was an opportunity for skateboarders to make NBA type of money. And, uh, and so I was really, really pumped on it and felt that it should be presented the way other sports are presented. But I did. I went. I flew out and I attended the event, the very first season uh, that they launched it, and just kind of sat in the stands and said to myself, "Man, I I got to create for them. I don't know how that's going to happen, but like I need to be creating all of this content around the arena for them." Mm -hmm. And so uh, on Twitter, and this was you know, 11, 12 years ago, they had put out a tweet that they were looking for interns and they provided an email address. And I said to myself, "Well, I don't want to be an intern. I'm mm -hmm. you know." newly launched this business and it's going great definitely not trying to be an intern yeah 
but someone's checking emails. Yeah. So I emailed that internship email address and just typed up a proposal and told them I'm not looking for an internship, but I can tell that this is being branded by non-skateboarders. <laughs> I'm a professional broadcast TV designer. I was designing for ESPN and Discovery Channel and a variety of other channels at that time. And said that we should work together because I'm not only a professional, I'm a long-time skateboarder. And I proposed all kinds of things in that, that email. And then I was like, well, wait a minute. If I've got the internship email address, why don't I just start guessing to see if I can get Rob Beardick's email? So I just started guessing emails for Rob Beardick. And uh, a couple days later, I get an email back from one of the addresses. And it simply says, let's do this. And at that time, I was like, okay, someone's just messing with me because they know I'm trying to guess Rob Deerdick's email address. And uh, about 24 hours later, a guy named Brian Atlas called me up, who was the general manager of Street League at that time, and said, hey, man, Rob sent your stuff to me. He wants to work with you. And congratulations, because getting Rob's attention, it's easier to win the lottery than it is to get his attention. Oh, wow. <laughs> crazy. So started working with Street League Skateboarding. We worked with them for many years, and, uh, and that turned into working with uh, Nixon Watches, which also turned into working with uh, IP for Walt Disney World, IP for Marvel and DC Comics. Uh, and turned into working on uh, motion graphics for MTV show Ridiculousness, Fantasy Factory, and we branded several other MTV shows back then, uh, all as a result of that cold email. Dude, wow. dude, this is wow. so, oh my God. It's, this I, I hope people listening and watching can just take this, this exact part of the podcast and apply it to whatever they do because it is literally sometimes your entire dream life is just a freaking email away. away literally yeah. and and you you don't even have to know the email just get the email <laughs> yeah. just send it out into the universe and yeah. let it manifest itself we just but, increased the number of spam emails today i think times 10 <laughs> It's, yeah. just, it's just so important to do that. Um, but yeah, thanks for sharing that. I appreciate it. Well, and there's a, there's a video on our website on the about page of TV, And I sat down with Rob Deerdick uh, 10 years later. Wow. And we kind of wow. recapped that email experience. And it's really cool. He's obviously a very, um, very smart guy, built and sold many businesses and uh, has his own fortune. Uh, but one of the things that he said, which I thought was really kind of him, but also very wise of him, was he's like, he's like, man, I give people like that opportunities all day long. And he's like, but you took the opportunity and you ran with it. And most people would not have put in the effort or the hustle to turn it into more than what it turned into. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so it was cool that he was like acknowledging that. And also he was bringing up a really important point, which is a lot of people don't see those opportunities. Yeah. Uh, and, and one of my favorite phrases, but I don't butcher it right now, mm -hmm. but is uh, most people don't recognize opportunity because it's dressed in overalls and looks like hard work. Oh, wow. wow. That's a good one. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, it's it, it really does help to understand how all of this worked out for you because 
again, for a lot of people who might just know you right now for the first time, it's really important to know this part of your story because it is something that has repeated itself over and over again in the different careers that you've had, the different uh, you know domains that you were in, and that has helped push you from where you were to where you are today and uh this is I just mean, very, very seeing cool. the opportunity is one thing catching yeah. it and you know riding on it is definitely another thing yeah you could blow up the opportunity easily by doing a mediocre work and then they won't come back to you the next client wouldn't come back to you and mm. it would stop right over there and yeah. we wouldn't have this story to tell today yeah so it's it's very important to really catch up on the opportunities and i want to ask people now look at abc and you and they look at this long list of clients nike louis vuitton but what they think of how do you guys go and get this client in the first place is it something that i mean you gave an example now and it's easy to look at the names now because it rhymes all the big brands all together but i don't think on the first place it was easy to land each of them one by one deliver the high quality because it's not just landing it it's more the whole progress and delivering and over delivering some building a relationship with all these clients and to be able to acquire more and more over time yes yeah, so uh, there's a variety of stories, uh, and someday I actually want to create like some more video content of like you have to, you should, you should. It's so like, interesting. Yeah, it's it's the, the videos you guys have are amazing. So please, please do so. Yeah. We would love to see them. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> so uh, there's all different ways of landing clients, of course, and there's a lot of different stories uh, behind them, mm. but. I'll, I'll tell you like one connection that is, is pretty cool. So, mm. uh, when I blew out my ACL the second time around, <laughs> it, was, it all revolves <laughs> around the same stories. This is what yeah. I was saying. <laughs> yeah. Ed was doing video editing and, and, you know, making skateboard films at that time. I was actually running, uh, a skateboard park through my church. So we were able to take over our gymnasium and build ramps inside on a basketball court. So it was a really unique place to film because we were literally on a basketball court, skating ledges and rails and things like that. And uh, we were the only indoor skate park anywhere near Washington, D.C., within like an hour and a half to two hour drive. And so we had pros from the East Coast coming to visit us all the time. And so I was filming and editing these guys who were either sponsored or not sponsored, and they went on to become professional skateboarders later in in their career. And so as a result, some of my like foot in the door, I'm talking 10 years later, ended up being, you know, know, because I was filming and editing those guys at around 22, 23 years old. So 10 years later, I'm out freelancing 33 years old or so those guys have gone on to become professional skateboarders and started connecting me with DGK, which is a very famous streetwear and skateboarding brand. So I started working with DGK. I also started working with LRG because one of the other guys that was a professional skateboarder rode for LRG. So then I was doing motion graphics for LRG skateboard videos. Well, years later, LRG team manager that I was working with became the marketing director for New Balance Numeric, which is the skateboard division of New Balance. We did all of this cool work uh, for New Balance skateboarding. And then New Balance running said, wait a second, who's doing all that stuff for the skateboard department? 
And so we started working with New Balance running. <laughs> and then New Balance basketball started saying, Wait, <laughs> we want those animations. Too. <laughs> yeah. And that led to New Balance uh, basketball. Uh, and so the Nike story is, is pretty interesting for back in the day. I think now it's a little more normal. But the way I landed my first Nike project was through Twitter. And it was, you know, easily 11, 12 years, probably 12 years ago. Okay. And so somebody who followed me on Twitter was just a huge fan of my work and wanted me to come speak at a Portland motion graphics meetup. Mm -hmm. And just kind of a side note on speaking gigs, they're a necessary evil. <laughs> How so? I, I don't enjoy them. I, I I get very nervous. I'm a planner. So when I when I plan a tutorial for like an NAB presentation, it took me like three weeks. Like oh my there's, God. there's no there's no paycheck that could possibly cover it. And you're usually doing it free anyway. But it's oh but it's a necessary evil because and I'll and I'll connect the dots here. I the guy that was on Twitter wanted me to speak at the Portland Motion Graphics Meetup, and I'm newly freelance, and I'm thinking to myself, man, if I fly out there, one, that's on my dime, <clears throat> two, I'm not getting paid for it. Yeah. It's just exposure. Mm -hmm. And three, that's three or four days when I'm there and traveling that I'm not making money. So it's a yeah. double hit, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. And, but this is where it comes back to seeing opportunities or not seeing opportunities. So the negative side was like, man, that's that could be a day rate times three or four days that I'm gone that I could be making money. And he's like, OK, well, I used to work at Nike. I still stay in touch with those guys. I can get you meetings at Nike. And I was like, OK, but what if you don't? <laughs> then I'm going to be mad. <laughs> you know? <laughs> So, so I was thinking to myself, okay, worst case scenario, let me hit up Maxon because I had already been speaking for them. I was like, this guy from Twitter <laughs> wants me to speak in a motion graphics meetup. It's going to be for you guys. I speak for you guys. Do you want to pay for me to go out there and do that? And they were on board, which is awesome. Maxon is a huge supporter of their artists and their Cinema 4D community. Uh, so I'm always... Uh, thankful for that. So I was like, okay, worst case scenario, I'm at least not paying to go out here. Yeah. So I got, I got that, that part figured out. Now I just got to hope and pray that this dude from Twitter who I've never met can we'll actually get to that meeting with <laughs> Nike. My God. Yeah. So I go out there and, uh, I do the speaking at the Portland motion graphics speed up and Joe Myers is his name. Shout out to Joe Myers. <laughs> Joe Myers. 12 years ago, he got me uh, meetings at Nike headquarters. So on Nike headquarters, he lined up um, one dude that was willing to take a meeting. And that one dude connected me with three other departments. So I, I went, I met with three other departments on the same day, extended my flight and started working on my very first Nike project that weekend. 
What? Wow. That fast? That fast? Yeah. Yeah. We usually hear well, big companies <laughs> take ages to just decide. What on did you dish. show them? Yeah. <laughs> what did you show them? <laughs> I showed my TikTok feed. <laughs> Here's my bicep workout, you know. <laughs> I'm going to model for your products myself. Yeah, dude, this is crazy. Wow. Was it like uh, footwear or you guys were into the apparel department? So or? I met with the basketball department and just like an overall global department. Mm. And I met with the skateboarding department. Oh, uh, right. Which is awesome. Right. Um, and, uh, and probably so for the skateboarding, he showed his ACL. It was like, yeah. you see, I'm <laughs> an experienced one. Yeah. No, but seriously, though, what did you actually show them? If you don't mind talking about it, did you show them something that was so mind-blowing that they were like, okay, let's get this started like now? So I would say, I don't know this to be true. I'm just okay. guessing here. Um, you know, Nike's always looking for like what's new, what's hot, what's next, yeah. things like that. So the fact that I was working with um, what Nike is probably considering hip streetwear brands back in yeah. 2010, 2008, mm -hmm. when I started working with some of these brands like LRG, yeah. uh, D2K, uh, among others, Supra Footwear was one of them. Yeah. So I'm, I'm assuming the fact that I was kind of working with the up and coming quote unquote cool brands mm -hmm. okay. was probably put me on their radar pretty fast. It's like, he's, he's on to the trends. Something, he's working yeah. with some of these brands right. that, uh, that we are already doing collabs with anyway, things mm -hmm. like that. I can only guess that that would help to, to mm -hmm. get their attention. I don't, I don't and know for sure. Just, just but out of curiosity. Uh, sorry, please continue. Uh, but I will say the story is not quite as exciting when you hear the, the end of it here. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. So extended the flight, landed the first Nike project and had all these amazing ideas of like, okay, cool. Here's what we're going to do for it. It's going to be like this insanely amazing thing, et cetera, et cetera. Ended up getting this budget that at that time I thought was just huge. And I was like, oh, I'm not sleeping for the next month. I've got to kill this thing. You know, like this is going to be yeah. the best thing I've ever done in my life. The project ended up being a glorified PowerPoint presentation for an internal meeting. What? <laughs> so, oh my so God. all this excitement and all this, like, you know, finally, like, got the Nike gig. Like, this is like a pinnacle moment. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> it ended up being for an internal project and couldn't post it and oh. wasn't very good. Got you know, dumped down because it's an internal project. Oh my and, God. Uh, and so all the excitement kind of went like, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and but so, can we say of that course, that opened the door? But can we say that that opened the door for you to be in contact with Nike and people? And of course, in the future, you actually work with them? Yeah. So, so then, you know, kind of a, a Debbie Downer to, to take that project on. And then you don't really hear from them. So it kind of is like, don't call us, we'll call you. Uh, right. how, honestly, it's how most of these brands work. Like even yeah. the brands I've worked with for like 10 years, I can send them emails and say, check out this new work. Don't hear from them. And then, you until know, until they need you. Yeah. That makes until sense. they need you. And then once they need you, they're like, oh, yeah, I've been seeing all your emails. They're awesome. Cool. Why didn't you respond to any Reply. of them? <laughs> 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 yeah. So, uh, so radio silence. And I'm kind of like, 
depressed over the next <laughs> year thinking to myself. So the the height of my career is going to be the internal Nike presentation. That I did. <laughs> like I don't even know that I can claim working with Nike. I should probably <laughs> leave that off of my resume at this point. Uh, but we continued to hit them up and continued to just send them work and got no responses whatsoever. Uh, and then probably a year, maybe a year and a half later. Uh, got hit up and uh, was asked to work on the release of the Kobe 8 uh, shoe, Kobe Bryant's shoe. Um, So that was, that was pretty awesome. And then also worked on one of the Kyrie Irving releases. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I think the biggest breakthrough um, was I got to do the 30th anniversary of the Air Force One uh, campaign artwork. So did that and then ended up working on the Hyperdunk 2014 which is a basketball shoe yeah and the artwork that i created for that ended up being applied to seven other shoes um so got to do that Uh, that ended up being a pretty cool one um and you know then it's one of those things started hiring some more people hoping to to really be able to to service nike and and do quite a bit more work with them and then didn't hear from them for several more years. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So the second time when they came back to you, were you hesitant or were you like, oh, I'm not going to put that much effort I mean, anymore? Nike, you kind of... I don't know. How did you feel the second time they came back to you? you were you like uh, pumped the same level or did you think that I'm going to do all the work and probably they might not use it at the end of the day? It did. To me, it didn't matter. Okay. Because because I was getting paid to create it for Nike, so whether it got used or not, it wasn't it didn't matter because it's part of the process. Yeah, and and so I found out later that just because something doesn't get used doesn't mean it wasn't amazing. And what yeah. I mean by that is, years later, we would have other departments from Nike come to us with a creative brief. And some of the examples that I created that got cut from the Kobe 8 or got cut from the Kyrie Irving project, they were in the new brief. So the concepts were there and they were usable, mm. but management had a different strategy, went a different direction. And then, you know, when it first, when those things happen, it's kind of like, oh, depressing, they cut my work. Yeah. But then to come back later from a different department and they're referencing images that I had created as what they want for this for the new next project. There you yeah. go. Then that's it's like, really, okay. That's really cool. That's really cool. Thank you for sharing the concept of, you know, how these clients uh, were, were brought on to ABC. One extremely significant topic that we have to cover and i think it was the best part of the video that you guys put up was during COVID. you mentioned two big brands that you guys are working with we're trying to squeeze you guys and this happens to be a very common issue with solo artists and studio owners especially freelancers and studio owners and not only during covid like usually it happens all the time doesn't matter covid is just one of the timelines but it happens to a lot of people where you're working with somebody and they start squeezing you by squeezing you just want to let everybody know we're talking about making you work more hours for less money now 
I want to get to that story, but just to give you guys a little bit of our own background, we had this guy that we wanted to work with, and it was it was something that we wanted to do since about a year, a year half ago. And the reason we wanted to do it was because the industry they were in was exciting to us, and at the same time, the work that they wanted was really creative. At the time, we were working on some projects that were not, I would say, as exciting. And so they hit us up. It's not us actually starting this conversation, by the way, Barton. They were hitting us up. And so we got really excited. We started learning all these new cool things. And we started sending them prototypes. So prototypes for free, right? All of this stuff was done for free. We didn't charge them any money. And this went on for six months. No response, no projects. And then comes back again to us with another new project. We get all excited. We're like, okay, this also seems really cool. Maybe this time it'll work. We give more prototypes, more prototypes, learn new things, and nothing. Until... A month, uh, three months ago, where we started the YouTube channel, we said, okay, you know what? This is enough. We're not freaking doing this anymore because we want to focus 100% of our time here. And he, funnily enough, the moment we were willing to walk away from the deal, he started texting us like a needy girlfriend <laughs> and being like, oh, uh, can you guys can you guys do it? Are you guys sure about you're this? Hey, if you're going to pay this much, we're going to do advertisement and do all of those things. But the, you mentioned that, phrase that the winner is the one who walks away from the you know the discussion and negotiation yes. I think yeah and what we want to talk about is the story that happened to you guys because you mentioned these were two big brands so clearly they were important to ABC but you took the risk to say no to them to protect yourself to protect your artists and you also mentioned that you guys exploded right after they left so they were holding you back can you talk to us about what exactly happened and how you made that decision because it's it's not an easy decision to make to walk away yeah for sure so i think it's important to note that in the videos that you're referring to a lot of times i said you know i don't want to be the owner of a studio that i wouldn't want to work for yeah uh and and that's one of my biggest fears is like owning something that i don't even want to show up to work for like how mm -hmm. did how did it turn into this how did it become this mm -hmm. and and why and that's like one of my biggest fears that drives most of my decision making um and so you know with with the decision on those clients it, it was it was the type of thing where pandemic came around and of course everyone froze their budgets we had big brands you know canceling projects halfway through uh you know things like that nobody skipped out on payments on us thankfully mm -hmm. um but but they did skip out on like let's not do the rest of this work we'll just pay you for where you are type thing so a lot of projects got canceled and it was like radio silence for almost two months, three months, where it was just like n almost no inquiries were coming in. It was, it was pretty scary. And, uh, and you, you know, you're doing a lot of contemplating, uh, during that time and, and asking yourself, you know, what do you want to do and how do you want to handle it? And, uh, and so we started getting some inquiries from, from two of our biggest clients and, you know, in their defense, they were likely their budgets were cut back. And mm -hmm. so because of they're going through the same thing. So I'm not naive yeah. to that, that fact. I don't think they're like ogres for what they did, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I looked at it and they wanted more, way more work for less money than we had done with them in the past. And I just was like, man, it's, it's the end of the world. 
and I'm not trying to, you know, <laughs> I'm not trying to be stuck in this office doing work for cheap. Yeah. So if I'm going out, I'm going out with a bang and I'm going to go out with some free time. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, there's no way I don't want to be the owner of that company. If I take this work on, I won't respect myself. Uh, and I'm setting up a terrible precedent for the future uh, because now they're just going to hold that against me and be like, well, you did this project for this amount. And it's like, there's no chance. Like, I'm not doing that. Um, and so I uh, was able to basically just go back to them and say, well, you know, we can't do it for this. We're going to have to do it for this much. And, and it didn't work out. So it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't this awkward, like, breakup moment. It was yeah. more so like private. <laughs> Pricing them out to yeah. to say good riddance, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Say, I mean, it's pretty much the same thing for us, but it it is definitely one of those things that you have to learn to do as an artist or as a business because at some point there is going to be situations where you're not comfortable with the amount you're getting paid for the work that you're putting in. But it's really important to note that the time you took this decision was. Well, you know, uncertain times, and that's why we 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 thought it was such a it was a ballsy move, right? I, I never thought he yeah. would say that. I would go out with a bang. Yeah, <laughs> that was the best answer ever. Yeah, but one thing one thing you mentioned is protecting your artists, and yeah. I've told you before that in this podcast, your name had came up with the exact same phrase. EJ, shout out to EJ. Yeah, he mentioned and Jim that, as well. Jim, yeah, Jim, and shout out, shout to out to Jim. Well. These guys yeah. mentioned that you protect your artists at all time. And I want to understand where did that mindset came from? Because when I saw the videos that you guys posted, I could really feel it. I could really feel it that you care. And it, of course, it's a nice thing. It's an amazing thing that you care. But but why? I think I think the studio owners um, that I that I hear about rumors mm -hmm. and things like that amongst the industry they get it wrong in the sense that they're willing to do anything for the clients, anything. So that's why you have people doing free work in order to land a project. When a client says jump, they say how high. It's the reason why you have studios, producers, et cetera, going back to the artist and saying, we need this by Friday. And the artists are looking at them saying, that's not possible. I wish you understood how this works. You know? <laughs> and, and, and so it creates this, this backwards business model because here's what happens. And I've, I've actually had this discussion with some very large brands who came to me afterwards and said, we loved working with you. The work was amazing, but we were a little bit surprised with like how rigid you are in your process and don't allow us to like, make revisions at certain points of the, the project. And so they were basically saying, can you be more flexible? Yeah. And, and I had to explain to them, you've got to understand that just because you want something by Friday and you ask for it on Wednesday, doesn't mean it's possible. I, I can go to, I just recently had a pool installed at my house. Right. I can go to the pool company and I can yell at them all I want. I can throw money at them all I want. And I can say, hey, you need to pour the concrete by this weekend. And they're going to be, they're going to look at me and they're going to be like, I, who are you? And that's not, that's not how this works. We haven't even laid the rebar down. How could we possibly pour the concrete 
by this weekend. Like, you're not going to get anywhere with the construction team Mm -hmm. uh, trying to tell them when they should be doing something in the process or how they should be doing it in the process. And so anytime I've done remodeling of buildings, I've remodeled four studio spaces in 13 years. I I enjoy like interior design and things like that and designing the studio spaces is something that I love. So, but I try to learn from those experiences and relate it to what we're doing in 3D. So it's no different what we're doing in 3D to construction. The only difference is the people are probably more self-taught in the way that they have to build it in Houdini rather than build it with hammers and nails and yeah. you know outdoor equipment. So you can't you can't change the process on us. You can't speed the process up. Um, and if you do that, or if I do that, if I agree to try to do that, imagine going to the construction crew and telling them, we've got to pour the concrete tomorrow. And the construction <laughs> crew is looking at you like, okay, there's no rebar. Like we have to pour the re we have to lay the rebar down in order to pour the concrete. So what's going to happen ultimately is I'm going to make my team angry. Yeah. Eventually, I'm going to burn my team out and my team's going to quit. If that happens, I can no longer service this client. If I can't service this client, I lose them anyway. So I might as well focus on keeping the team happy, not the client. Because the client will be happy if my team's happy. Wow. 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 You're you're just a step ahead in terms of the thinking process of you know that eventually it's just going to go back to you and bite yes. you if you don't do it right. And that is not often the approach that we see because I'm not even talking about any studio specifically, but if you know anything about any the industry, VFX yeah. industry right now, because when we talk to VFX industry right now, all the VFX artists feel like they're being overworked, feel as in they are they being are. overworked yeah. from what we hear. We're not in the industry ourselves, so we don't know. But from the stories that we hear, it's happening more and more with the film industry. And so seeing somebody like yourself managing 21 people, uh, as you mentioned yourself, and making sure that doesn't happen within the space of your studio is just so refreshing to hear. And I think it's a testament to why it's working out so well. And if if other people take and adopt this approach, it clearly is going to work for them too. Hundred percent. Right. And you mentioned that you you is it you only who can, who can go to talk to clients and manage this timeline and budget, or no. you you train other people who have the same culture, have the same mindset, and they can go and you know come back with yeah, the how, same structure. And how do you guys even do the timeline and budget? Because like there's so many different projects, different products. Yes. How do you define? Okay, this is one month, two months, three months. You talk to your artists, figure out how much yep. time they need, and then come back to the clients. How does that work? So, uh, let me answer that question in kind of a roundabout way. Sure. In in part of the growing of ABC, the first thing that I did was I brought on somebody that could basically help me with client services, answer emails when I'm in the thick of creativity and I can't jump on the phone, can't do things like that, at least respond and say, See, I see your request, Barton, and I will get back to you tomorrow with this. Mm-hmm. Like, so that we can have like some immediate, you know, conversations with the client. They feel like they're being serviced and, and not wait two days before I come out of a creative dungeon and yeah. uh, show, my, show my face again. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, and so in doing that, it then turned into, okay, how can I free myself up to 
work on only the things that I can work on. Mm -hmm. And so I started doing what I call like the concept phase, which is build out like a, a look dev frame. And so like the 3D environment, mm -hmm. light the product, get sign off on like a hero shot of it. Yep. And then from there, I'll do like a test animation. So like maybe five, 10 seconds most, start showing the product, doing various things, techniques, et cetera, get sign off on animation technique and look dev and what we call our concept phase. Right. Once that's signed off, this is all the way back to when I'm like basically freelancer and then have like an assistant helping me, you know, communicate with the client. Once right. that's signed off, now I can begin to start to outsource and, and work with other people, hire people, et cetera, and say, okay, this is kind of the vibe of the spot. This is the look of it. This is like a little sample animation for how robotic it should be or yeah. like how smooth and, and jiggly it should feel and animated. And, uh, and let's build off of that. And, and here's an animatic for the timing of it. And then I'm on to the next project. And then I can start working on the next project while I either have hired people or was freelancing to people before I hired people uh, to help me finish the projects that I had gotten initial approval. And so fast forward to, you know, a studio of 21 people now, it's very similar to this day. I'm typically heavily involved in what we call our concept phase, which is what I kind of just described there. Now, because I have a much larger team, I'm always looking for opportunities to not do what others can do. So yeah. I, I try to focus my efforts on, I'm the only one that can do this task or that task. Mm -hmm. And I'm not suggesting that means like artistically, because I've got a very talented team. It just might be for creative reasons or creative vision, or it might be uh, administrationally like, I need to talk to this client because I'm the only one that maybe has a relationship with that client. So it's kind of a sidebar of if someone else can do it at the studio, my goal is not to do it. No um, but that's been, that's been my focus with the size of our team as it currently is. Um, but in growing and in dealing with clients, we're getting sign off all along the way. So in our concept phase, we're getting approval on the look dev. We're getting approval on what we call the animatic, which is hardware previews. It's blocking out and it's timing everything. Yep. And so we're going to the client, we're giving them revisions within what we call our concept phase. So mm -hmm. when we leave our concept phase, we have a locked off animatic. We know how long the shoe is going to explode and turn into fire. Right. You know, we know when there's going to be liquid simulations and it's going to be eight seconds of liquid simulations. And mm -hmm. so that hardware preview, some people call it a previs, somebody call yeah. it, some people call it an animatic. That is our blueprints referring mm -hmm. back to construction. Mm -hmm. So once we have our blueprints signed off on and we all agree we're going to build a five bedroom, three bath house. We're going to spend the next several weeks or months with a team of people building a five bedroom, three bath house. Mm. And along the way, a construction company has to have check-ins and get inspections by the city, make sure that they're doing it right. Mm. And the client will get check-ins and they'll be able to give feedback, make sure we're aligned with their vision as we move forward. But what we can't do 
is spend the last three months building out the house based off of the blueprints. Mm. And then someone looks at it and says, well, what if we add a six bedroom and another bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> Which happens quite frequently, I would say. Yeah, but then you become filthy rich when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because it is the equivalent of construction. We signed, we agreed to blueprints, five bedroom, three bath house. We built a five bedroom, three bath house. Now you want a six bedroom, four bath house. So we have a couple options. We can either go back and create new blueprints mm. or we can tack on a six bedroom here yeah. and a fourth bedroom there. And it might not be ideal, uh, but either way, it's going to be more time and more budget to do that. And so that's that's how we are kind of running things. And then, of mm. course, uh, part of your original question was, am I the only one that deals with the clients? Absolutely not. I've got mm. uh, what we call, we did a slightly different business model here. Um, I have a production manager and a head of production. Um, we do not have any producers on staff. Okay. These are not in the traditional sense of producers. I think that works for 3D Studio best. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't necessarily recommend that for other types of uh, creative services uh, like agencies or, or maybe even video production. I'm not sure because I'm not mm -hmm. uh, well versed in those pipelines. But for us, one of the biggest tensions in a creative environment is a producer that doesn't know how to do what you do and doesn't know how to say no to a client because they're not sure what it is involves, how long it's going to take. And then they end up being the person that said this is going to be due Friday and it's Wednesday. And then all the artists are looking at them like, we can't pour concrete until we lay down rebar. And you just told the client that we would pour the concrete before we lay the rebar down. Mm -hmm. And and that producer is the bane of most artist existence. I'm just saying yeah. it for the rest yeah. of the world who's yeah. afraid to say it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like that producer drives artists absolutely Crazy. nuts. Yeah. And if you think about it, why would that person ascend to a level of leadership over the artist? when they don't know that it's it's the equivalent i'm a huge basketball fan so i like to use <laughs> basketball metaphors but there's a big movement in the nba right now as there should be that a lot of the players don't have any respect for their, a coach that's never played at a pro level before and so you're seeing more and more players becoming coaches where it's almost it's almost getting to a point where you don't stand a chance of getting a coaching job if you didn't play in the nba yeah. at some point and so very similarly, what I was looking for, rather than producers, I was looking for a player that was ready to become a coach. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, Aaron and Chad uh, have similar roles. One's head of production, one's production manager. Mm -hmm. And essentially, they were 3D generalists that were good at everything, but maybe not like masters of one particular thing that they became internet famous for, but they were good at everything. Mm -hmm. They had personalities that were good with people mm -hmm. and they had uh, organizational qualities mm -hmm. of an artist. Uh, in other words, they weren't so artistic that they, you know, didn't 
didn't know how to hit deadlines. And <laughs> yeah, you need to have the balance. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so the right person in my mind that I was looking for was a generalist that's well organized and also a people person. And so both of those guys fit that description. It's like they had been doing this for 15 years. They know what it's like to be treated poorly. Mm -hmm. uh, they know what it's like to be mismanaged. And now is their opportunity to basically go from being a player to help being a coach. Mm -hmm. And they were able to now essentially coach the players and know what the players are going through. In when we were even smaller, they were player coaches. So they would be <laughs> in the game and they would also be coaching. Coaching at the same uh, time. And same with myself. Uh, like, not that I'm comparing myself artistically to LeBron's level, but like <laughs> LeBron James is often called like a player coach because even though he's on the floor, he knows exactly what's going on. Yeah. And, and up until about two years ago, I was still on the floor playing mm -hmm. with my team, mm -hmm. but I was also coaching from the sidelines at, at moments. Uh, right. And so uh, that's kind of how I chose to to handle that so that those guys are now dealing with clients. And I no longer have the issue of someone saying to, you know, a, a producer, well, when Jim Bart get on the phone? Because we want to talk to him. Like no one mm -hmm. says that because yeah. these guys have been senior motion graphics artists for 15 years of their yeah. career. They know how long something's going to take to render. They know what's involved. They're not going to promise something by Friday and it's Thursday afternoon that can't be delivered. Um, and so they're able to kind of fill a unique role and essentially come out of the pipeline into more of a leadership role. It's fascinating the insight that we now have into how the leadership works in your company and in your studio. Because again, one thing we always want to learn from a studio like yourself is figuring out how you can scale to have 21 people and, and work so flawlessly with all these different brands. And thanks for not gatekeeping it. Yes. You know, telling everybody no. <laughs> that. Yeah. The, no, because it's, I mean, now I realize why people want to work for ABC and mm. the real culture that you have built takes years Yeah. Training these people, making yeah. sure that everybody understands your position, your situation, yeah. how the client, because it's not only the team, it's the client communication. How do you tell the client that we work this way and they need to accept it? So yeah. really shout out to you guys for putting this foundation in this studio. Before we yeah, go into, thing, okay. sorry, please go ahead. Oh yeah, I just wanted to add to like uh, we. I actually did kind of sit down with like the younger guys at our studio that, that we have on staff, and and I wanted to clarify to them like the reason we have such structure is because we don't want to burn you guys out, so that by the time you're 30, you don't want to do this anymore. We have a senior level team. Many of our team is 35 and older, um, but we do have some of our guys who are in their their young 20s uh, with us, and so. Um, I wanted them to know that it's important. I'm not suggesting that we should work 40 to 45 hours a week and be done and then just go to the gym the rest yeah. of the day. Yeah. <laughs> the rest of the day. <laughs> Under no circumstances am I suggesting that for somebody in their 20s, that's for sure. Um, but my point is I want us to respect their time and their private lives so that at nighttime they can go learn Houdini and yeah. go learn Unreal and go learn and keep up with all the new technology. I don't want to put them in a situation where 
they're here working super late at night and they're too burnt out to go learn new things. Mm -hmm. So the goal is keep it, keep it structured, keep them from burning out so that they'll go home and pour into their own selves and their own career, which will also benefit ABC. Wow. One last question before we get into the rapid fire part, which is asking the questions from uh, Instagram and Discord. Where does the idea come from for you guys? Clearly, all of your commercial and ads and all these broadcast packages that you create, they all have their own stunning visual and, and, and different uniqueness to them. For an artist that is running out of ideas, what would be your advice to, to, to get inspired? Where should I go to get inspired? What's the ABC secret hmm. sauce to getting inspired? Man, well, I think um, I, I'm developing a lot of creative briefs each week, mm -hmm. uh, and they happen quickly. And I, I think that a lot of inspiration comes from outside of the monitor. Mm -hmm. um, so things that you're into, you know, when you're when you're not doing 3D are going to inspire the way you approach a project. So mm -hmm. for me, which has affected kind of the overall vibe of our studio is I was always into skateboarding, like we talked yeah. about. Skateboard culture is very, you know, music driven. You the music you choose to put out in a skate video part, it's like almost the most important thing you can choose. The clothing you choose to wear when you're filming skateboard parts, like that's incredibly important. The sneakers, like everything. Uh, so fashion, all of that. Basketball is not much different. That's another love of mine. Um, you know, the music and the fashion that goes along with basketball. So all of those things are affecting overall inspiration and creativity. Um, I will actually travel to New York City once or twice a year with no other purpose other than going and trying to get inspired and wow. looking at the city. Uh, from a creative standpoint um, with the clients that we deal with. It's it's incredible to go walk down Fifth Avenue in Manhattan and be like, that's our client, that's our client, mm -hmm. that's our client, and just go to like the mecca of shopping and see how they're doing it when they're not working with us and when they are working with other vendors and, and, and scope those things out. And so uh, I get a lot of inspiration, as most people do, in that sort of traveling as well. Uh, which spark ideas. Um, we've worked quite a bit with wakeboard boat companies mm -hmm. and uh, you might not think it, but tons of the inspiration comes from just having been out on the lake with them and seeing seeing the way the surf wave looks in person and thinking of it from like a Houdini perspective, <laughs> like oh, how can we animate this surf wave uh, and just ideas happen. Um, so I think outside the monitor is is often key. Mm. Wow. You know, Barton, we feel so left out not being in the skateboard Man. culture because <laughs> yeah. this podcast has helped us a lot to connect with creatives. And I would say... Yeah, you noticed this. Yeah, like half of the creatives that we bring on and we ask about their inspiration, they either say skateboard or snowboard. And <laughs> it's in different industries. And basketball as well. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. So if you have a child and if you try to get them into the creative industry, go and ask... Force them to start skateboarding. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that, that shit's going to help for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so yeah. true because like you mentioned, it's not just the skateboarding, it's the entire culture around it that, that is going to give you some sort of inspiration in some, some domain. Um, we're 
sort of, I mean, I can't even, be, I, to be honest with you, I'm, dumb, I'm not done with questions. I can <laughs> hold you here for another day because you have <laughs> so much important, I would say, events that has happened in your life. And maybe one other day, another episode, we can make it happen. But let's move on to the, the rapid, rapid fire, fire question. So here you can answer it as brief as you want. The questions come from Instagram and Discord. And Farah, do you want to get started? Let's start. Uh, Ali Reza was asking, how do you go from middle budget project to high budget project. Now I have a lot of middle budget. Now I want to jump into the next level. Yep. So back to the three, the three tiers that we talked about earlier, fill your schedule, fill it with things that you're passionate about, start charging more. So, uh, I treat it almost like a seasonal hotel. Like when, when you try to go to the ski resort in the summer, it's one third the cost of if you try to go to the ski resort over the winter. Yeah. Uh, and, and same with like, try to go to the beach during prime season. Mm -hmm. So when you start to fill your schedule and then you start to fill it with things that you enjoy, mm -hmm. you can start charging as if it's Christmas time on the ski slopes. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, this one comes from our good friend, common friend Jim now. Uh, it said creative selfishness versus work-life balance. How do you feed the artist passion versus having family time? Mm, yeah, um, I, this is not good advice, but uh, I would say this part's good advice. Never skip out on your family. The, the maybe controversial advice is skip out on your sleep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and, but again, there's seasons of life. And so um, I definitely, like I said, I was a little bit of like a late bloomer in the sense that I didn't even start 3D till I was in my 30s, didn't start my own company till I was in my thirties. Uh, and so there were definitely seasons of life where I was working way too long, way too hard. Right. Uh, and was concerned about my health, which kind of led to my health and journey, fitness journey, mm -hmm. if you will. Um, but had I not done those things, ABC would not be where it is today. Mm -hmm. uh, I could potentially still be a freelancer grinding those same yeah. amount of hours, but with, yeah. you know, a lot like mm. uh, results being quite different. Do you have like a specific day or time that you set out for your family, regardless of how much work there is? Because people have different approaches, right? To, to deal with family time versus work time. Do you have any, any set plan or no, you're more flexible? And, yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say, you know, these days it's uh, work-life balance is very manageable. Uh, you know, I, I don't grow a team and, uh, and be overly stressed out with my work hours yeah. these days. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, I would have the wrong team uh, right. if, yes. I, if I were doing that. Um, so all of the hard work has led to now where I am able to uh, keep things very contained. Um, I'm not working more than 40 to 45 hours a week ever anymore. Um, mm. And uh, and so finding time for family is, is quite easy these days. Weekends are pretty chill. I'm there, I'm hanging out. If they want to hang out with me, cool. But, you know, I got teenagers, I got college students. They're running off and, and doing things. And often I'm the one at home uh, yeah. just waiting and <laughs> available for them. Uh, <laughs> when I was younger and it was more of a grind and I was working those long hours, I was definitely, you know, making the time for them because they're young kids and they, they absolutely need that. Uh, and then I was compromising on my sleep. Um, right. And typically, like even when things are busy, Sundays are a pretty, uh, you know, relaxed day as a family for sure. We're, we're like going to church and we're just hanging out in the afternoon and then I might end up having to work 
uh, Sunday night to get ready for the week uh, mm. beforehand. Yeah, the nighttime uh, right. owl comes up. You know, the, we heard that from your story as well. Just there's one more question, and I want to give a shout out to Easy, but I feel like we already we sort of answered it in details. He was asking about the whole Nike process, which I think we which we already covered. Oh, yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> So we just want to say thank you so much, Barton. It was uh, an honor speaking with you because we we followed your story and we watch what you do. And we definitely recommend every single person who sit up up until now. If you're listening or watching, we will leave all of the links on the YouTube channel. Please go check out Barton's personal page if you want to see more bodybuilding stuff. Go to and TikTok. Then, yeah, TikTok. <laughs> if you want to get some, you know, but personal if you got, motivation. If you guys want to get inspiration, go and check uh, Already Been Chewed Instagram page. They yeah. have all these, their work there yeah. is really inspiring as well. 100%. Is there anything you'd like to say or any advice before we go off to the artists? Yeah, of course. Definitely got a shout out to my team, incredible team. Uh, the work-life balance that I had talked about would not be possible without them mm. uh, and it's the reason that I've chosen to grow so very thankful for them love it thank you so much again Barton and to every single one of you guys who are watching we'll see you guys next week ciao, ciao.